Welcome to the Smoke Pit. Joining us today, we have Chief Grant Kahn, medically retired from the United States Navy. He is a mental health advocate all around, just tall, handsome individual. <laughs> He's uh, got fantastic uh, platforms for resources and humor and advocacy. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for having me out here. It's awesome that we're finally able to, finally able to sit down and do this. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's been a, a while in the making. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so yeah, you know, name is Grant. Last name is very Russian and very long. It's Konbalinov. Um, actually. Yeah. I wasn't going to try to yeah, no. <laughs> attempt that. I think my entire time in the military, if anyone ever came in and said, Hey, we're looking for Konbalinov, they would have no idea who you're talking about. But as soon as someone said Khan, they'd be like, okay, we know where he is. <laughs> yeah. He's probably ducking to get through some, uh, hallway. Absolutely. Especially Absolutely. on the ship. Yes. Especially with my first ship being a frigate. That was, yeah. it, it, it took a while to know like where to duck and where not to uh, hit my head on the darkened ship switches. So it was <laughs> so, rough. It was rough. <laughs> so you you went from uh, ducking uh, P-ways. Is, is that it? I've never been on ship. They kept telling me it was on. I was amphibious, but then kept putting me on flights to the desert. Yeah. Um, so obviously like the overhead is very low everywhere, but on a frigate, which is like the Navy's smallest platform. Yeah. Um, apart from like a minesweeper, uh, it was very small and these darkened ship switches were like these metal hooks that hung off of, you know, hung off of the ceiling to where whenever someone opens or closes the door, the red lights turn on and off. Oh, that's mood lighting. Yeah. They never worked, but (laughs) you know, they definitely worked in cracking your head open. Um, but yeah, so I was in the Navy for almost 13 years. 13 years. And uh, what was your rate? I started as an electrician and then six years into it, um, after I picked up first, I converted over to a career recruiter. Okay. Right on. And um, so uh, they, they probably taught you a, little, a lot about like electricity and grounding and how it impacts the human body. Yeah. Which, um, you know, I grew up in New York City. Yeah. Uh, immigrated actually to this country from the Soviet Union, but then uh, kind of like Kazakhstan. So it was it was interesting. Grew up in New York, you know grew up in New York City, and I had no idea what a screwdriver even looked like. Yeah. And I take my ASVAB, and they're like, "Okay, you are going to be a great HM or a great EM. Go ahead and pick." <laughs> and the PS that I was sitting across from was like, "You don't want to be an HM." I'm like, "Oh." Why not? He goes, because they never advance. No, they don't. <laughs> and this was 13 years ago. Yeah. You know? Um, like so, during like the height of the shit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And he's sitting here telling me, yeah, they never advance. I'm like, okay. Yeah. 14 corpsmen got blown up last week in various parts of Iraq and Afghanistan. Oh, so does that mean there's 14 openings? No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, you're demoted. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I'm like, all right, yeah, you know, let's. Let's be an EM. So they sent me to school, put me on a ship, and I'm like, what Like, what do I do now? They're like, let's you know, open up that switchboard and let's clean it. I'm like, I don't even know how electricity works. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, d- did some time on a frigate, uh, did some VBSS stuff, which is like visit board search and seizure, did some translating stuff. Also known as party rocking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, the translating stuff was really cool because – my command just like got this email from like the CNO's office and they're like, Hey, EM2 Khan needs to go and screen to be a translator. He needs to show up to this really shady uh, hotel room next to the JFK airport with that was very dimly lit for a polygraph. 
And I'm like, oh, man, like, what's going on here? We have no idea. Yeah, I feel like that's a a federal requirement that all polygraphs have to be done in a dimly uh, lit room with, like, a a middle-aged, balding, overweight man who says, like, a perpetual 5 o'clock shadow, very sweaty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was like... Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. You did. (laughs) And, like, the entire room smelled like cigarettes and there was smoke everywhere. Um even though you, you know you couldn't yeah. smoke in the hotel room, but for some <laughs> reason this one just had it. No other room had it. Um, but then from there, I went over to San Diego, did some time on an Anfib, and then went recruiting. Right on. So, um, what do you what do you do these days? Uh, so, unemployed. No, um, I had a job. You know, I got a job in advertising to where I was running the social media for all of Mazda USA, and loved it it was a great you know great opportunity great paying job but yeah they told me you know you have to move to seattle and i just spent 13 years moving around like my kids moving around i'm like i'm not moving to seattle so i said i quit oh wow did you um did you previously have uh experience with social media yeah so during my time recruiting um my team and i kind of introduced social media to navy recruiting and yeah, I know you did. I just didn't know if you were allowed to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, so it was yeah, kind of a yeah. softball pitch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and then they're like, hey, like, we love this idea. We want to move you to, you know, Navy recruiting headquarters. So you can kind of like spread the word to everyone. And I'm like, awesome. The Pentagon. Let's do it. They're like, the Pentagon? You're moving to Memphis, Tennessee, my friend. <laughs> the, the, you know, the, uh, the jewel of all naval facilities exactly exactly they're like you know it's it's great here we have amazing barbecue uh property is cheap and uh you know graceland so i went to i went to memphis tennessee traveled for around two years uh teaching recruiters how to use social media working with the advertising agency and from there they moved me uh from there my next duty station was actually at the pentagon to where I got there and my first day there, they're like, here are the keys to all the U.S. Navy social platforms. Don't get us into a war. <laughs> oh, is, is, so is that why the Navy unfollowed me? Uh, I don't No, No, that that one wasn't me. Um, but the Navy unfollowed me. The VA unfollowed me. Like, I think a lot of them are like, oh, cool. He's doing all this great stuff for like veteran health. And then they like saw the memes that I post where it's like, oh, if I want to kill myself. And they're like, oh, we can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> No, so my, I think like my first couple days there, uh, Justin Bieber falling off of his unicycle started to trend. And I'm like, guys, listen, like I know social media, okay? We need to jump on this trend. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. Like the U.S. Navy Instagram has like like 1.8 million followers, Twitter, Facebook. So I got with the MCs and they Photoshopped Justin Bieber like, uh, falling down a ladder while on a ship and the safety message was uh, you know make sure to always have at least you know at least one hand on the handrail um, and we posted it and then within 30 minutes our admiral comes running through the door like what the fuck are you guys doing who approved that take it out but by then you know a, a second on social media and it's permanent someone has a screenshot of it by then, it already spread like wildfire. Um, it was all over Twitter, was all over Instagram. I was really hoping that Justin Bieber was going to like retweet it. Um, but yeah, he didn't. But from there, we slowly started rolling into this voice to like, 
if you come after the Navy on Instagram, like we're just going to roast the shit out of you in the comments. Um, and we were able to post memes. Like we posted memes targeting Iran and targeting China. Yeah. I remember seeing some of those and I was like, I had to like refresh and be like, is this, is, is this a parody page? Like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And you know, I, I definitely have to give it to, you know, to, to that command and that admiral because him being an admiral PAO, you would think everything has to be like completely perfect. And, you know, I could never have imagined posting a meme, making fun of Iran on the Navy's Instagram. Um, but he was good with it. it. He was like, as long as I get a heads up first to know how bad it's going to be, I'm good with it. Uh, like, do you remember when the Fort Bragg, uh, Twitter got hacked or yeah. not hacked like the only fans thing with the Fort Bragg Twitter yeah the dude was like logged into the wrong account yeah 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 and he started talking to like an old an only fans model yeah fun fact about that I actually um because yeah, I'm a bro right mm. if uh if if any of my uh friends can attest to one thing is that I am constantly trying to hook them up if they're single if that's what they want if they're like hey I'm just taking some time for me I'm like all right turn it off but if they're like yeah you know I'd, I'd like a date Friday night like I'm like a bloodhound right so I reached out to this chick and basically got her to agree to uh, be uh, angry cop Rich High's date to the military ball. <laughs> That's awesome. And so then they uh, got in touch with each other. So I, I don't know if it's going to happen or anything, but I uh, I confirmed it that she'd be willing to go to the military ball <laughs> with angry cops. That's impressive. That's impressive. Yeah. And angry, angry cops is hilarious. Yeah. And every once in a while, like he'll... Uh, send me like a text message at like 11 p.m. or like 2 a.m. He's like, "Hey, are you busy?" And I'm like, "I'm always free for you, baby." You know. <laughs> and he'll call me and he'll just tell me like the randomest story that just happened or like vice versa. Mm -hmm. I'll be like, "Hey, man, like I need to rant about something for about 45 seconds." He's like, "Yeah, man, go for it. I'm taking a shit." <laughs> and call him, tell him a crazy story. He'd be like, "Oh, dude, that was crazy." Like, All right, bye, bye. And then we won't talk for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Those are the best friends, though. Those those are the great friends. Yeah. Um, but uh. Yeah, so, like, that, we, and on Twitter, you have to be extremely professional, like, especially, you, know, you could have some fun on Instagram, you could have some fun on Facebook, but when you're tweeting as, like, a branch of the Department of Defense, it has to be 100% professional, because the conspiracy theorists will jump, and, you know, they're gonna connect things with codes, and, you know, just start going crazy, uh, so we tweeted, like, don't get hacked, because it was also Cybersecurity Month. Um, so we tweeted, don't get hacked with hacked in like quotation marks. Uh, please read our cybersecurity <laughs> manual. Um, everyone was very upset over that. We had to apologize to the army and their social team for coming after them like that. Cause it was like a ver still a very sore subject. However, that cybersecurity manual saw the largest spike in readers in like years. That's brilliant. I mean, yeah. What, what's the best way to spread cybersecurity <laughs> information, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was fun. And then, yeah, I was medically retired. So. Right on. I'd say the second biggest thing to ever happen for cybersecurity was that one uh, gentleman who dressed like the uh, the nosy cubicle guy in the cyber online training for his yes. Halloween costume. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes, yes. That was the second best thing to happen for the cyber manual. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone, um, you know... I think his name was like Jeff. That was one of like the iconic ones out of the, like the Navy NKO courses where like they're, they're giving away CDs and stuff. And he's like poorly animated, like, 
we have it's a billion dollar industry yeah um but our nkos look like you know like a fifth grader built it on his computer yeah and it's it's like all the certificates are always invalid and yeah it's like really guys like you can't you can't take care of that oh yeah yeah okay so we um we uh we saw all the wonderful work that you did there and we also have seen a lot of the wonderful things that you have uh, done to uh, destigmatize getting mental help, a mental health assistance, and reaching out and taking care of your um, you know, your shipmates and your battle buddies. So was that something that you found more of a passion for in the later half of your career, or was that something that was uh, made more aware to you earlier on when you were just starting out? You know, I think... I think both because in 2012 and 2013, um, when I was doing those fun things like translating and, you know, counter piracy and counter narcotic boardings and stuff, um, even though it was like we weren't like SEALs or EOD and, you know, we weren't like in the, in the thick of it, kind of like the TikTok trend, you know, <laughs> um, we weren't like in the thick of it every single day, but we still saw some shit um, that I, you know, I didn't think affected me. And in my mind, you know, I was brought up with a Soviet upbringing. You're a guy. You're tough. Shut your mouth. It's going to go away. And that's exactly what I did. Um, But it wasn't going away, and it was only getting worse. And I didn't really see anything during the day, like, while I'm doing my job. And you would have never been able to tell. I was always happy. I was getting the qualifications. My boots were shined. Uh, My coveralls were pressed, even though, like, I was in engineering and you know, I got a lot of shit for it, but at night, like I would grind my teeth. I would have reoccurring dreams. I would have, um, night terrors. I would wake up screaming, kicking, you know, my wife or my girlfriend at the time, um, like kicking, screaming, all that stuff. And it got to a point to where I started drinking heavily to not pretty much not go to sleep, but kind of like black out. So I didn't have dreams like that. I get that. Um, and finally, you know, my girlfriend was like, listen, like, like you need to go fucking talk to someone. And I, you know, I was in San Diego. I, during quarters, I had this Filipino master chief, uh, master chief Portugal. I thought for sure this dude is going to give me shit because he gave me shit for everything. Yeah. Right after quarters, I was a second class. I was like, Hey, master chief, listen, like I need to go up to medical. And he's like, okay, well, what's going on? He's like, are you hurt? And I'm like, no, like, I'm having some issues with, like, mental health and all that stuff. He's like, okay, go. Take take care of it. Right on. And I definitely wasn't expecting that because you always hear of, you know, leadership and chain of command. And especially, like, this master chief engineer who's, like, the saltiest motherfucker <laughs> on the ship. Um, he's been working on engines since they were steam-powered. For, oh, for sure. For sure. He probably still has a rower, like, from his first ship. Um you know, there there are chain of commands that are going to treat you like shit and like talk down to you, um, and those people are just pieces of shit and they'll talk down about anything. But he was like, "Okay, go. These guys will cover it. You want me to go with you?" I'm like, "No, no, you're good. Like you can stay down here." Now you said he was um, uh, Filipino, so I can imagine he came up to like your chest. Yes. Or was he, he tall? Oh no, he was uh, he was short. He was short. Um, but great guy. He's um, just kind of like looking up at you but, but still giving you shit for things oh, oh absolutely and he would always be like you know i'll still fucking kick your ass con right i'm like yes 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 <laughs> I, I, I know you're all right like i'm double your size but 
Yeah. I'm definitely still worried, like, you're going to wake me up with, you know, like a pipe wrench or something like that one day. Um, He's like, you ain't so tall without your knees. Yeah, yeah. Swinging it. No, he was was great. Um, But, uh, you know, I went up to medical. I spoke to this HM, which since we're talking about, you know, like Asians and being tall, this was the tallest Asian that I've ever seen in my life. He was HM2 Steelwell. Um, You ever see uh, Kung Fury? Yeah. When the dude is like trying to pick people in the crowd to fight. And he points at like the one dude and he like stands up and he's like, eight feet <laughs> yeah, tall. Yeah, yeah, he's like, no, yeah. no, not you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like I, I go to him and this dude is like fully sleeved out. He has like a FMF pin. Like he like I know for sure like this dude has seen some shit. Yeah. Um, and like here's like little EM2 coming up with like my surface warfare. Like been, you know, just checked on board. I'm like, this guy's not going to take me seriously. There's no way. Like he's gonna, just going to laugh it off. Yeah. Um, But he was good too. Like he sat down, took down a ton of notes and he was like, okay, I think you need to talk to our like Marine, you know, like psychologist, psychiatrist, one of those. The wizard. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm like, okay, great. I went in there, spoke to him, told him everything. I mean, I laid it everything out on the table for this guy um laughed cried was angry everything and he's like okay uh you know i get it let's do something called sleep reconstruction all right so uh before we get into that uh just to back it up a little bit so there is a stigma in the military where if you seek help that you'll either be um made fun of or like you were saying that you had the fear that you might be dismissed Mm -hmm. Um, when we have seen more and so over the last few years that that has not been the case. So if you are in the military and you do seek some sort of resources and you are spurred or made fun of or belittled, please know that's not the norm and please try again. Please don't give up on getting the help that you need just because you had a a bad experience with a handful of individuals because that's generally not the case. Mm -hmm. And there are other resources out there available online and uh, at different places on base that you can get help. So don't let one person uh, be the reason that you don't find greener pastures. Oh, for sure. And, you know, my division, you know, they were great with it, but there were people on the mess decks talking shit. You know, like I I heard like the little whispers and like Khan is crazy. Khan is going to kill himself. He's just trying to get out of this deployment. And, you know, at first I was like, damn, like that, that kind of sucks. You know, I just got onto the ship. I'm not trying to do that. But then I thought, man, fuck them. Yeah. Like this isn't their life. You know, it's my life. And I tell absolutely everyone, a little bit of this is from Inglorious Bastards because that's my favorite movie. Um, but like, I tell everyone like one day you're going to take your uniform off. Yep. You know, uh, that has been such a big theme recently where, I have said it time and time again, even if you do 20 years, you'll be 38 to 42 by the time you retire. You still have another lifetime Mm -hmm. ahead of you. And most people don't even do 20 years. So you have to plan for life outside of the military. So like that includes not destroying your ligaments, documenting your, um, your physical ailments, taking care of your medical health, putting away a little bit of money. So that way, you know, once you do launch out, like you can... Uh, be able to support yourself until you can accomplish your dreams because some people don't realize that maybe the application for uh, the window application, the application for window. Mm. No, I, I, I'm not a college application guy. window. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, there yeah, it yeah. is. Thank yeah. you. 
the application window was last spring. And mm. so maybe you might have missed that semester. Um, people may not know that maybe the job that you're trying to get the next school date isn't for three months. Maybe your security clearance won't go through for six months. And so it's like, how do I support myself until then? Mm-hmm. And so when I got out of the military, I started a small business uh, doing like hauling and moving and stuff like that, where I, I hired vets. And over the course of like, I think four or five years, I hired over like 30 vets and their family members, mostly vets though. And cause you can't go to Lowe's and be like, Hey, I need a job for three weeks until my security clearance goes through, you know, right. but you still need to pay your bills for those three weeks. And, um, yeah, so that's like you were saying, it's your life, not there. So mm-hmm. people are like, Oh, you're going to come drink with us. And it's like, well, you know, I've, I've been spending a lot of money. Like, uh, maybe I, I, maybe I not, uh, I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should save a little bit. Maybe I should back off the alcohol because I've been not sleeping well or depending on it too much. Then people will give you shit. And it's like, no, that this is my life, you know? Yeah. And you got to respect my choices. Because two of the biggest factors in suicide are sleep deprivation and alcohol consumption. Because if you've been up for over 24 hours, you're technically as impaired as if you had a .08. Mm-hmm. So you have you know guys and gals who have been awake for two days. And then on top of that, they've had you know six shots of whiskey. And they're not in their right frame of mind. And then we wonder why people who have been trained to think that staying up and being drunk are like admirable qualities. They're having mental health issues. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's, and I think that's kind of like the mindset that you get in, that you get into. Um, and just kind of like talk about how, you know, we were mentioning before how some people are nervous to get help because they're worried about what's going to come from it. Like whether people are going to talk shit about it or they're going to talk bad about you. You know, some of the other big ones that I heard is like, I don't want to go seek mental health help because it's going to hurt my career or I'm going to lose my security clearance. Yeah or I'm going to get kicked off the ship or out of my command or wherever it is. And, you know, first of all, 1%, like that 1% across the board for every single branch. Yep, confirmed. You know, it can happen. I'm not going to sit here and say it can't happen because it can happen. However, going back to like one day you're going to take your uniform off, like I, I will be the first one to say Fuck the service. Like, if you are struggling and it's the service that's doing it to you, yeah. or it's your job, or, you know, it's your command, be part of that 1%. If it's going to ensure that you're going to, you know, continue to live your life and be happy and be there for, you know, your spouse, your loved one, your kids when you get out, that's what you got to do. So, you know, those. Do you want to look handsome as fuck? Well, then you should try Combat Comb Over for your hair and your face and your beard. And then once you have all that additional swagger, you need something to carry it around in. Use the Nut Ruck by Arbor Arms. And while you're uh, carrying that Nut Ruck, you should also remember to keep yourself as fresh as possible because you never know what might happen when you're looking that good. So keep yourself some body powder from Hollywood Powder Company. Use our discount code SMOKEPIT on all of our sponsors to save yourself some money. Yeah, for sure. And if you are part of that 1%, you probably fucking needed it. Exactly, yeah. But if you're part of the 99%, what's probably going to happen is that you're going to go in for some sessions. Don't expect the first one to fix everything because the first one is usually like, ah, what's your name? Have you ever farted on a grape? And you're like, why is that relevant? Mm. And uh, it's just collecting like um, admin data and uh, background history. And then the second and third, that's when you kind of start to get into it. But ultimately what they're going to do is they're going to help you figure some stuff out figure out why you're feeling that way, what's leading to it, figure out how you can avoid that, and then also give you 
uh, mental resiliency tools. Mm-hmm. Like um, some of the things that I have is that box breathing is extremely important to me. If I'm feeling anxious or stressed out, like I wash my face, I take a sip of water uh, because if I'm triggering the um, the primal uh, part of my brain that says, okay, I'm drinking water, that means I'm safe. You know what I mean? If nobody's chasing me, then I mean, it's safe to drink water. So if I'm getting anxiety or being anxious or I'm stressed, if I start sipping water, it's telling the primal part of my brain that, hey, you're safe. It's okay. Bring your heart rate down, you know? Oh, wow. That's awesome. To recite the first letter of the street names from my hometown. So like, um, I'm, I'm not going to say the street I name I grew up with right. so I don't get hacked because I learned it from cyber. Yeah. But, you know, um, Alpha Street, Bravo Street, Charlie Street, mm-hmm. Delta Street, you know, D is for Delta, E is for Echo, F is for Foxtrot Street, you know. That's another tool that that I was given. Mm-hmm. So I have this whole toolbox of things that work for me. And so when I'm in a stressful situation, I refer to those things. And that's kind of like my self rehab. Like when my neck starts acting up, the chiropractor showed me things to do to help work out the knots and to put it back in position. So you're going to get those tools and they only work if you use them, but you can't use them if you don't know what they are. Yeah. And so they gave you the, um, the tool of sleep reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And how did that work out for you? So when he told me sleep reconstruction, I completely thought that this was going to be like some total recall stuff. like Inception? Yeah, like I'm going to lay down, they're going to connect these things to my brain, and I'm going to go to sleep, and like once I get this dream, like they're going to start like shocking me and programming me. It was nothing like that. At first I was a little upset, but then I was kind of relieved. <laughs> You're like, I know how much electricity it takes to fry a nipple. You better not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but pretty much it was just like every time I had that dream, um, you know, whichever reoccurring dream it was, I would write it down. I would call him the next day, email him, see him, whatever. That Like, this guy was amazing. And he would walk me through changing the outcome of the dream. And, you know, because, you know, when you're having these dreams that are messing you up, you're constantly, you're automatically inclined to go down the same path that you've always been going down. Um, but you are in control of your body, you are in control of your brain and your dreams, even, you know, like even when you're sleeping, um, you know, obviously like sometimes when you realize, Hey, it's a dream. Oh, can I fly? And then like you wake <laughs> up like shit. Um, I need a stadium full of redheads and every man that closely resembles my father, a crotchless uncle Sam suit and a hand glider. Yeah, exactly. Like once you realize it, most of the time you wake up, but when you're having these, you know, like night terrors and stuff, after enough repetition, you could totally change the outcome. And that's what ended up happening to me. Like just one night out of nowhere, after enough repetition and writing it down and talking about it with this professional, I changed the outcome of the dream. I did wake up like right away, the same way I always would. But this time I was much more relaxed and I was like, shit, like I just did it. You know, like I wonder if it's over. And I went from having that dream like three or four times a week to once a month, once every other month. Yeah. And that like just completely changed my life. And if I wouldn't have gotten, if I wouldn't have went to mental health and spoke up about it and just said, fuck all the people that are going to say bad shit about, yeah, you know, who knows where I would have ended up. Yeah. And so this was while you were still, before you uh, changed rates to recruiting. Yeah. So this was as an E5. Um, yeah. See, look at that. You know, you, you brought joy to, you know, thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people, you know, through your various platforms, uh, both personally and professionally. And, uh, you know, if you hadn't have been around, you wouldn't have been able to make that impact. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, mental health is one of those things to where 
you know, and this is one of the things that like a lot of people have to see, including like leadership in the military is that having a mental health issue is no different than like having a broken arm, you know, you cannot pay attention to it. You could break your arm and be like, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to, you know, whatever, like sling it myself and walk around with it. And eventually it'll heal. Will it heal correctly? Absolutely not. Are you going to have issues with it for the rest of your life? You absolutely will. Yep. And mental health is exactly the same. Like they're either going to get worse. Your days are going to get darker. Um, like if you actually don't and get it, you know, get it taken care of professionally. Yeah. My philosophy has always been if I, um, if I take something and I figure it out, then it can't hurt me as much. Mm-hmm. If I'm struggling with something, the more that I work towards it, the less scary it is. It's like shining a light into the closet or under your bed. You know, you, you see there's no monster there. Mm-hmm. And the fear of, of something is, is often more damaging than what the actual um, cause of the fear might have been. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in um, kind of rolling into like this advocacy seat um, in 2017 two of my friends during the holidays um, committed suicide. And these were friends that, you know, they were on, like, teams with me. And, you know, like, I have a picture with one of them, like, literally right behind me while we're at the gun range. Uh, and they took their own life. And I'm very sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. I um, know it doesn't get easier over time, but... Um, you know, we, we appreciate your candidness and sharing and, you know, um, how, how did this, uh, impact you moving forward? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I was kind of sitting there and thinking to myself, like I was able to go get help and talk to someone, talk to professionals. Like, why didn't these guys do it? Why aren't people doing it? What's going on? Because I didn't see like this big stigma because I was, you know, I went and got help and I got out of it and everyone was great to me, you know, um, other than like the, you know, a couple people on the mess X or whatever. Uh, so I did a little bit of research and at this point I'm like the national social media trainer. I should know everything about every single platform out there. Uh, I'm a chief. I still have my security clearance. Like everything is fine. And I found this group on Reddit which was, you know, the the group name was just like our Navy um, or just the Navy group. And I started looking into Reddit and I see how it's like completely anonymous and people don't put themselves out there and it's just like a username and, you know, people just like shit posts on Reddit or ask questions. I'm like, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I call my wife and I'm like, hey, I'm about to end my career. And she goes, oh my. Yeah, she's like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm about to go on Reddit in full uniform without any type of approval from absolutely anyone because like I'm sitting in this seat to where you need like PAO's approval and you know this and HR and so I'm like I'm gonna go talk about suicide and mental health you know and put my phone number out there oh wow uh so I I went on to reddit and I think I made this like three minute long video this is my first post I've never posted before on reddit uh I didn't even know if I did it right and the video, like, t- you know, took off. It was shared on the the Navy group, Army, Marine, Air Force, Coast Guard, um, National Guard, like, 
every single military affiliated Reddit, you know, group that was there, it was shared onto it. And people started reaching out to me. People started calling me, texting me. Um, a lot of people were like, oh, you're a chief. Like, you know, the chief's mess has a very, like, dark cloud over it. Yeah, I've seen the, uh, uh, I, I don't want to use the word hazing, but I, I've seen some of the rituals that go into the selection. Yeah, uh, you know, and... It's a it's a very uh, very closely guarded club, if you will. Yeah, th- there are great chiefs out there. Like, I'll oh say no that. doubt, yeah. Um, but there are fucking trash ones too. Um, and it, you know, it, it's just like with anything. You know, you're gonna have the good, you're gonna have the good ones, and you're gonna have the bad ones. Uh, but the bad ones are always the ones making the image for the entire organization. I tell people oftentimes that the people with the most negative opinions are often the loudest. And so it is easier to pay attention to negativity because they are more vocal and they have a bit more venom in their words and it stings more. So it's easier to pay attention to, but that's not oftentimes the representation of the whole with all professions, whether it be doctors, police, firefighters, military, you know, people who serve others. There are always going to be a small percentage of people who shouldn't be in that profession, but it's impossible to gatekeep everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since we don't have a draft right now, all these things are professions that you have to enter into willingly. So it's it's hard to really know that until they're in that position. And maybe that's not who they started out as and something happened to them along the way that they never got fixed and turned them into, you know, that kind of person with the, the bile and the venom. But we shouldn't pay attention to the negativity as much as we do to exploring, all right, what else is out there? What are people doing that's good? Not giving power to the people who have the ability to throw shade on your perception of something and the people that influence our lives by taking away our joy or our pride in something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, like there's always a bad apple, you know, kind of just like you said, w- with every profession. Um, and the Navy's no different, but. You know, like, like I said, I made this post and that turned into, you know, great comments and also not so great comments. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep doing it. And I kept making posts because that was a way for not only for me to see what was wrong, you know, with the military mental health system. But also, I guess, like kind of heal on my own, you know, reaching out to people, helping them, talking to them was also helping me heal from you know, just losing these friends. And, you know, like I said, I put my phone number out there and I was getting very weird text messages at, you know, two o'clock in the morning where it was like, Hey, this is Emily. Do you want to see a picture of my boobs? And they send a picture of two birds that I guess like the, yeah, yeah. These birds are called like boobs or something. Yeah. The, like the non-scientific name (laughs) yeah 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 um but then i would you know i would get phone calls to where it was you know a sailor soldier marine airman whoever like on the brink of committing suicide and i would have to talk them down and i'm not a mental health professional you know i like i tell everyone with parenting like i'm not an expert but i have experience yeah and sometimes experience is you know better than being an expert at it yeah the to be able to say that you've been in that position it's difficult 
and uh, I'm actually working on kind of like a, a quick resource guide with some uh, mental health professionals because people always say watch out for you know the signs and symptoms and you know we're all well educated if you know if they're giving away possessions mm-hmm. if they're you know saying uh, uh, fatalistic kind of, of statements you know like those are red flags we all know how to look out for but you don't get a lot of training on what to do when somebody confirms when you say you know when you you, you ask the right question because you're not supposed to say oh are you going to hurt yourself because in their mind like no it's not going to hurt when i blow my brains out no i'm not going to hurt myself are you okay yeah i'm fine mm-hmm. uh so we know that you have to ask the correct the direct question like are you thinking about suicide are you planning to kill yourself and when you finally get the first time that somebody says yes and then there's just that long silence mm-hmm. they don't really tell you what to do there and so you know, I'll, I'll share some of my experiences, but I want to hear from you. Like somebody who's been there, somebody who's had that experience, like, what do you do? Um, yeah, that's, uh, and, and we've been in this situation. uh, It's kind of hard to talk about. One of the first things that I do is like, you know, use the tools that I was, I was, uh, given and I'm, I'm just stalling. So that way you can kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm going to try to cut you off. Uh, but the idea is like, uh, safe for now. You know, right. like, hey, like, you know, uh, make sure that they don't blow their brains out. They don't me- over medicate that they don't have a plan. Do, like, do they have an active plan or is this an, I- an idealization? Mm-hmm. So, like, is that? Yeah. Um, I, like, I'll give you one example and I'm not going to give any names or anything like that. But you know, we were doing a project down in Florida and, you know, after a night out with this person who's an E7 or, you know, I'm not going to say what branch he was in or anything like that he texted me and said, you know, if it wasn't for tonight and the night out, you know, I probably wouldn't have had any more. And I went up to his hotel room and I'm like, Hey, like what the fuck's going on? Like you you can't send me a text message like that and expect that I'm not going to ask questions. You're just going to reply with a thumbs up emoji. Yeah. 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 Or like, you know, like an eggplant and a handshake emoji. Like, like we're good. Um, He's like, you know, I've I've thought about killing myself. And I'm like, okay, well, are you thinking about killing yourself now? And he's like, if it wasn't for this night, yes. And I'm like, okay, well, we're not going to have a night like this every single night. So we need to go to the emergency room. And he was like, no, 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 you know, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And there was a lot of anger. There was crying. There was laughter. But eventually I got him in the car and we went to the emergency room. Uh, did... I lose a friend for a couple of months. I absolutely did. Uh, just because he was angry with me. He was like, you know, my career is over. I've been in for 18 years. I'm up for E8, you know, and you just fucked me. But after those couple of months, he turned around and, you know, he like thanked me for it. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things to where like, if you see someone struggling, if someone is hitting all those signs um if they tell you that they you know they're trying they're going to hurt themselves unless you're a mental health professional unless you are a doctor a therapist you know whoever and you could talk to this person and diagnose them at that point that's not your job like at that point your job is like you said are they safe right now yep can they hurt themselves right now get them into the hands of a mental health professional yeah, the um, higher echelon of care is is what we're always looking for, whether it's a gunshot wound or a mental health wound, is that, you know, we want to be able to, you know, put the, the pressure bandage on, put the tourniquet on, uh, 
you know, things like um, you know breathing, respiration, or blood loss. You know, like you want to take care of like the big things first, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I plug this person up so they don't bleed out and get them to the next echelon of care? So, um, being able to say like, all right, are you safe for now? And then after that, kind of figuring out what's going on. Uh, make sure that you're not belittling them or dismissing. Like you can, you know, remind them, be like, hey, look, you've overcome things in the past. Like you'll get through this as well. That's very different than saying like, oh man, so what you're saying right now is if you were in Iraq, you would just be a pussy and mm-hmm. you know, there's kids in Africa that are, you know, fighting at 12. And it's like, no, you, you don't want to undermine or belittle their problems, you know? Oh yeah. And so from there, you, uh, you know, you, you got them safe for now. You want to figure out what's going on. You want to remind them of their attachments to the world because when people cut the strings, like, you know, they're giving away their possessions or getting rid of friends, they're detaching themselves, which makes it easier to, you know, float away off into the night. And you want to remind them of those attachments to this world, whether it be friends, family, responsibilities, um, asking them to come volunteer with you, mm-hmm. projects that they can help out, like reminding them that, uh, you know, they they have a place in the world, that they're not done yet, that they can't leave yet, they still have work to do, you know? And then from there, you know, making them promise, like, all right, look, you, if you're not going to the ER tonight, like, say I'm not physically there and we're just over the phone so I can't physically make them do anything, you have to promise me that you will call me tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. You have to promise me that you're not going to drink anymore after we get off the phone. You have to promise me that, you know, you're not going to touch your guns at all. You're not going to you know, uh, touch your pills or anything like that, unless it's, you know, it's something that they need, right. but not to mix with alcohol. So you make that plan. And then once you follow up with them, you know, you, you, part of the plan is like, okay, so we're going to talk tomorrow and then we're going to figure out, you know, what we need to do. Maybe refer to them like, Hey, look, if you have problems after we get off the phone, like here's the, you know, national suicide prevention line, here is the distress line, you know, here are other resources and you also have to promise me that if it gets too bad, you will call me or you will go to the ER. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is like, are they safe for now? Reattach them to the world, um, establish a follow-up plan, and then get them to the next um, echelon of care. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, after I posted that video on Reddit, you know, and continued to post and started posting on Facebook and started posting on Instagram and um, the first service member that I saved you know came not too you know not too long after i started this and you know that this service member called me and he was sitting in his barracks room with a gun oh Um, wow yeah and uh you know he called me and he was like hey you know i'm i want you to be the last person that i speak to and that was just like like I immediately got goosebumps. I kind of like blacked out a little bit. I'm like, okay, like w- we need to we need to start working through this. Yeah. Um. And I was able to talk to him. He was able to, you know, put the gun away. Um. Kind of talked him off the ledge a little bit. And then I'm like, look, like you need next steps. Like you're across the country for me. I can't, you know, be there and help you. However, if you're still in the same room with this weapon, like as soon as we get off the phone, that thought can cross your mind again. Yeah, and if you're sleep deprived and if you've had alcohol, yeah, you're not in the right frame of mind. Oh yeah, and I told him I'm like, look, I, like it's completely up to you, but like you you need to go to the hospital because if you were there to where you were gonna pull the trigger and blow your brains out, like nothing is saying that you're not gonna be there once we get off the phone. Yeah. 
So he was like, I agree. And, you know, I was able to like, um, two way, like nine one one on, and he stayed on the phone with me until the police showed up and, you know, went and got him help and he's fine. Now he's still in the service. Um, he did not get in trouble for having a weapon on base and all that stuff because his chain of command thought of it as like, like he was in a dark spot. And if we now penalize him for it, uh, you know, it could make it worse. But I thought that was awesome that I I thought for sure he was going to get in trouble. And that's one of the things that we spoke about, but you know, they just kind of like took the weapon away and made sure he got the help. Like be better to be in trouble than to be dead, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's those uh, attachments to the world that really prevent people from uh, crossing certain boundaries. You know, like I don't want to get drunk and drive because, you know, I might hurt someone. I might deprive my family and my friends of my, uh, my presence in their life. And, you know, those who care about me would be upset. And, you know, you, you don't want to blame people for committing suicide, but that is, that is definitely a factor. You know, mm-hmm. I, um, I had an exercise that I, I developed through some of the courses that I got certified in. And so when I would do the suicide prevention classes for my units, I would say like, you know, all right, everyone close their eyes. Now imagine it's um, a cloudy day. It's a little cool. There's a hint of humidity in the air. It had rained earlier. You're on a grassy field and you see a bunch of people dressed in black. And as you walk forward, you see a casket there and you look to the right and you see a picture of yourself. Now you look out in the first row and think about the most important person in your entire life, whether it be your wife, your husband, your daughter, your best friend, your dog, whoever it is, they're sitting there in the front row and they're crying because they miss you. And all they can ask is why, why, why didn't they trust me enough to help them? Why would they do this to me? Why would they leave me? And then I'd have the class open their eyes and be like, now look around. Every person in this room would give their life to save you if, it, if we were in a firefight. Every person in this room would run through machine gun fire to save you. But yet we can't be bothered to pick up the phone and call someone when we notice erratic posting on social media or when we have conversations in life. Like we would die for each other. Nothing would stop you from getting to that Marine or sailor or soldier if they were hit and they were asking for help. But yet we don't help each other when we're in the States. Mm-hmm. Every person in this room has somebody who cares about them. Every person in this room has a shadow and can influence the world for the better. You cannot leave yet because you still have work to do. You have people who care about you and you still have things to accomplish. And people would come up to me afterwards and say like, man, I never thought about it that way. And a small part of me was just like, you know, if I can tell other people why they deserve to be in this world, that gives me a purpose to be here too. And so if you're in a dark place and you're wondering, you know, why should I stick around? Well, you got work left to do. Mm -hmm. You got people you can help. And if at the very least, at the very least, if you think you have no other reason, if you could just make the world a little bit better of a place, then you're justifying your purpose here. And then when your work is done and your life has come to an end and you pass away of old age, you can look back and be like, I was glad that I was here to make that difference. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, you know, it, so I continued to, you know, advocate on social and, you know, m- moving it to Instagram, moving it to Facebook and all these other platforms. And then whenever I have to find someone or whenever I have to reach out to a certain command, 
people started noticing me posting on Facebook, like, hey, I have a 911. I need to find someone on wherever, like the USS Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. And then people started asking me questions like, hey, like, what's going on? Why do you need all this help? And I would tell people and they're like, you know, let's move this forward. Let's create a group. So where to where it's not just you, but you have five, six, seven people in there from every branch, you know, at least one individual from every branch that when you need to find someone on an Air Force base in the middle of nowhere, you can do that. You just go into this group, whether it's, you know, Microsoft Teams or Slack or even like a text message group and be like, here's what I know about the person. They contacted me. It sounds like they're here then this point of contact could go and like use their network to locate this individual. Yeah. And you know, that's what we ended up creating. And what's that called? So, uh, it's called joint task force zero. Okay. Um, just because like there's already a task force one. Yeah. Uh, uh, with the Navy, which, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even know if they're still around anymore. <laughs> um, so I'm like, let, you know, let's have a play on that. That's what they want you to think. Yeah, right. They're always listening. Um, I was like, let's make this joint task force zero. And once we did that and once like we had more advocates and more people constantly listening on social and ready to jump in and help, uh, that's where we were really able to like ramp up the amount of saves that we had. Um, like we had one sailor who... I was talking to back and forth. He cut all communication with me. I put it into the group on what was going on and the cops pulled up to him as he was standing on the Coronado bridge. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, then we had another one, similar situation to where someone called with a gun crying on the phone. And as I'm talking to him, I take his phone number, put it in the group and the group is like searching for this sailor because no one's going to call and be like, my name is Joe Smith. I'm an MM1 stationed on the USS, you know, whatever. I've been in the Navy for 13 years. I'm married, two kids. I'm about to kill myself. Here's my address. No one is going to do that. Yeah, at least nobody who um, has a, a legitimate plan. Right. You know, there are people who will put out ideations as a cry for help. and But when we're talking about people who are, like, at, you know, at the edge, mm-hmm. you know, like I like you said, like if they are – about the business, they they don't really want to allow there to be a lot of opportunities. So you know, I don't, I don't think anybody really wants to die. I think just people just don't want to be in pain anymore. Yeah, yeah. And once they get to that point to where you know they're sitting there with a gun to their head and they just want to talk to like one last person, there's still hope. Yeah, you know because if they didn't think or if they didn't want to live even a tiny bit, they would have never called you, you know? So once you have that person on the phone, once you're talking to that person or you're in the room with them or whatever, like you have to do everything you can, you know, to save this individual. Um, so, you know, we continue to, you know, I, I continue to talk to this person on the phone Meanwhile, this group is working on the background, trying to locate him. I'm trying to get as much details as I can on this person and, you know, to get them help. And the paramedics ended up showing up and he went and got help. And, you know, he, he's doing great now. And it's not every single person that calls me. I'm immediately going to, you know, 
where are you? I'm calling 911. Yeah, exactly. You know, some people just want to talk and I'm there for it. But if you call me and you say like, Hey, I'm standing on the edge of the bridge from there. Like it is like my responsibility and my job to make sure that your heart continues to beat and you do not hurt yourself. Yeah. And regardless of your feelings towards me afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Like I rather lose a friend. Yeah. And you know, know that you're still alive than have to show up to a friend's funeral. No, you're absolutely right. And um, so we have responsibilities to act once we're in that situation. But I also feel like we have responsibilities uh, that occur before a situation gets that dire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have responsibility to continue to destigmatize getting health, not to be the person who's whispering on the mess deck. Uh, not to be the person who is an obstacle to someone else getting help. But we also have a responsibility not to be the source of somebody's mental health distress. We have um, a great community in the military. There's a lot of camaraderie, a lot of brotherhood. But unfortunately, like we were talking in the pre-interview, some of the people who have had the biggest negative impact on my mental health have been other military members. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it be, you know, the guy who, um, you know, you know, goes down the street and takes a ride into your house when you're on deployment or, you know, the, the person who you're like, Hey, like I trust you with the secret and you know, that goes sideways or you're like, Hey man, like don't do this thing. And then they do the thing and mm-hmm. you're like, why, you know? And so it's not the fact that, you know, it's, I don't want them to eat. I just don't want to sit at the same table, you know? And, but I still don't want them to kill themselves, you know? Yeah. And at the same aspect, I don't think a lot of people realize the impact that they have on other people. It's like, oh man, you got these vets that they'll do their 22 pushups for suicide awareness, but then they'll log into their burner accounts to go, you know, harass people for their, their beliefs or, um, because they're not as salty as, mm. as they were, or, you know, they, they don't think that somebody rates one way or another. And I'm all, I'm all for friendly banter, you know, but I, I don't go after people with the intention of like, oh, I really want to hurt this person's feelings, you know, particularly right. other service members. So one of the biggest things with that and kind of like how I was brought up is just don't be a dick to people. <laughs> like I, that's that's the best way to say it. Like just, yeah, you know, you're not better than anyone else. I don't care how fast you could run or how many push-ups you could do or how much you could bench. Like everyone has their thing that, they could, that they're good at. Everyone has their own interests. I don't care if you play Warzone or World of Warcraft or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like. And none of us are perfect either, yeah. and so I'm not. I'm not saying that you know, I'm perfect by any means, but I think like intent is a big part of it. You mm-hmm. know, like are are you doing this just because you you know you you have the intent that you want to hurt somebody, or was it just a mistake? You know, did you do something with a selfish intent? Like, oh well, if they just don't find out about this, or if nobody really knows that it was me, then like you know that's that's a bit different than if it was an honest mistake. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people will make mistakes and I'm not going to say that, you know, I, I have never made mistakes and I've never done anything wrong. Like, I don't know what happened between like when I was a second class, like when I was going through all these issues and everything, I, I remember myself being a dick to some junior sailors, like, yeah, like get your hands out of your pockets and all that other shit and haze them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Slay those pigs. Um, and then correct yourself. 
I I think it was like once I made first class and when I went recruiting and what opened my eyes is like, like not, you know, being a first class, being in for at this point, like seven years. Yeah. And, you know, seeing these kids that are coming in, these 17 to 18 year olds. And just like you said earlier, this is an all volunteer force. Like (laughs) these kids, unless mom and dad are dragging them into the office or the court is ordering them to. Yeah choose between jail time and a branch yeah like these kids are volunteering for it and that made me like feel bad about some of the ways that like i I treated some other people you know and that just changed me completely as a person because yeah like the i I saw like who these children are i don't want to say children like five-year-olds come in but like i saw who these kids are like walking in and yeah if they have that you know, drive and mentality and just like courage to even walk into a recruiting station. Yeah. Um, like I saw a post earlier that, that, you know, E1, E2 needs to have the same level, you know, you need to show that person the same level of respect that, you know, an admiral or a captain would get. And I think that's really like when it switched over to me and, you know, I got into that, like, don't be a dick to people. Yeah, plus um, you get a lot further recruiting with honey than you do with vinegar. Yeah, unless you're unless you're in the Marines. Yeah, I was about to say actually, I I walked into the recruiter's office and the guy was just like, "You think you have what it takes to be a United States Marine?" And I was like, uh, "What?" And he's like, "Get the fuck out of my office!" Uh, yeah, yeah. Ah! <laughs> and I ran out and I was like, "Wait a second, he can't talk to me that way." And that's when the brainwashing begun. Yeah, there was a, you know, like on TikTok, um, our account has like two and a half million followers on TikTok. And whenever, yeah. and whenever we go on live, like at a high point, we'll get like 200, 300 people watching. If we have yeah. a viral video, we'll be like at a thousand. But there's this Marine recruiter on TikTok. Um, I want to say it's like Gunnery Sergeant Murray or something like that. Uh, he recruits out of Chicago. This dude has like 5,000 followers. But, <laughs> but he goes live every night at 11 o'clock at night inside of the recruiting station fully creased uniform this dude is stacked eats a rotisserie chicken (laughs) a bag of almonds and just talks to people like shit on the entire live stream like he calls them stupid he calls them uh dumb he calls people like i don't want to say this word because like to me it's like very offensive but like you know like the r word you know what i'm talking about uh infantry (laughs) <laughs> no no like i know what you mean yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like he he like just completely disrespects people and he gets like five thousand six thousand seven thousand people watching him just talk shit to people and his phone yeah. is non-stop ringing in the recruiting station <laughs> and i'm like Dude, like this guy has it figured out yeah um yeah i was really i was very mean to my junior marines because it was my job to be a little fire breather and you know, there's, you know, there's, there's a certain uh, recruiting slogan that we didn't promise you a rose garden. <laughs> but then once we would deploy, like it was like almost like I was schizophrenic, and a different personality would take over. It was kind of like the very, like easygoing, soft-spoken mentor kind of uh, guy that a lot of the people on the podcast have gotten to know very well. Because at that point, it's just like, all right, guys, like training's done. Like I've forged you as hard as I possibly can for the last six to nine months that I've had you now it's like now it's time to see how good of a job I did Mm. 
And so there's just, there's just not that need for it anymore. And obviously if somebody messed up or if we were in a firefight, like I'm not going to be all pleased and thank you. Like sometimes you have to grab somebody by the troop leading strap and push them to where you want them to be. But other than that, it's just like, dude, we, we get shot in the face anytime. Like there's no reason to be a dick mm-hmm. leading up to that. I kind of felt like it was necessary to instill the kind of discipline that I needed my Marines to have. But then once it was for a purpose though, you know? Once we deployed, it was like, okay, I, I don't need the whip anymore. Now it's more the carrot. Yeah. You know? And and as you get a little older, it's it's a little easier to kind of take more of a mentorship role versus the authoritative, where I think that there's some people in higher ranks that didn't get the memo that you don't have to be, you know, the, the drill sergeant or the drill instructor your entire career. Because if you're always yelling, then you know, if everything's an emergency, nothing's an emergency. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're always yelling, it's just like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 as were like, I might have been mean, but I didn't raise my voice a whole lot. And so, like, if somebody heard me yelling, it was like, oh, man, like somebody really messed up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that I, you know, for sure, like, that's where I think that that whole, you know, don't be a dick mentality, like, set in, like, yeah. you know? Um, but then I'll tell you, like, one of the, I'll say like, if I was writing this, it would definitely be in quotation marks, but like leaders that I experienced, this was, you know, I was already a chief and this guy was a master chief and like, I'm in, I'm initiated. I went through the six weeks of hazing and all that yeah. other stuff. Like I did all the dumb shit to get my like chief's card, which you got your sea legs. You yeah. Know, yeah. Like, like I did it all, you know, I'm, I'm over here like on a first name basis with master chiefs and stuff, which is like, you know, this culture shock for me, but I get to, and I'm not going to say this dude's name, but I get to Navy recruiting command and he is the most senior individual in my rate. So yeah, he is a master chief career recruiter and he was the biggest fucking dick to me that i've ever experienced (laughs) as a leader like i'm like this is what the chief's mess is like like this dude is a master chief like he has all the coins all the t-shirts all the belt buckles and stuff yeah but like just some examples like he would bring he would bring me into the office every single day and chew me out for just random shit and belittle me and say like you have to be humble and you have to do this and you have to do that and did you not learn anything during season and you know, like, you're not what a chief should be. You should be an E7. Maybe you should go through season again, just like shit like that. And then I think one of the biggest ones was we were traveling together, um, like, uh, at the same district. And we were in Minneapolis, Mall of America. You know, I'm not going to get all dressed up and fancy to go to the Mall of America to walk around because, like, the hotel yeah. was attached to it. So... I walked out in like sweatpants and a sweatshirt because it's fucking Minneapolis and it's freezing everywhere. Yeah. Um, and he's down there with like this pea coat and tie and all that shit. And he pulls me to the side and he's like, I don't like the way you dress. I'm like, okay. Yeah. He's like, go change. I'm like, I'm, I'm not changing shit. Like who are you to tell me like how to dress? Yeah. We're not on official business. I'm not briefing admirals or anything like that. Like, I could wear a shirt that says, go fuck yourself, and you, you can't tell me to do otherwise. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you, you kind of can at that point. But anyway. <laughs> that's um, not the point. Yeah, that's not the point. <laughs> um, 
he was like, you have to be professional at all times. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like I kind of just brushed him off and left. And then when we got, when we got back, he called me into his office and he like wrote me a counseling shit for it. And that I will stay dressed professionally at all times. And right at that, you know, everything else was all kind of already confirming that this guy was a fucking dick. Yeah. Um, but that one like really put the nail in the coffin for me. And do these type of people exist in the military? They absolutely do. Yeah. And, you know, one of my friends, you know, she would always say, like, karma's going to get him. He's going to fuck up somewhere. Someone's going to bring it up. And he ended up sexually assaulting someone. Oh, fuck. And that person who was a female chief... um didn't want to bring it up at first because how are you going to go after the most senior person in your rate? Yeah. Um, but you know, we spoke and you know, she said it, she reported it and you know, that E nine became an E eight and got a general discharge out of the Navy. So, you know, I would like to say that he got, you know, what was coming to like some comeuppance. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so just like if you're a dick you should stop you know because eventually yeah. like karma is you know karma is going to catch up yeah that's um no that's wild and you know obviously like that dude probably should have gotten like i don't know the details obviously but you know he probably he might he could have gotten worse you know yeah. um you know and anybody out there who uh has any sort of siblings or anything like if I got a call from you know somebody that I cared about said that they were a victim like that like my first thought isn't necessarily going to be like oh how do I get this guy you know paperwork written on him I'm gonna be like all right you know um you know which gun am I choosing which is uh for the NSA guys listening that was a joke <laughs> yeah uh, for yeah. the FBI guys listening uh, was satire for the Homeland Security guys listening that uh, was comedy right right <laughs> but no but you see my point though you know no, and yeah, so it's yeah. like if the the worst thing that happened to you was you you lost your military career then you know you, you got off easy for sure